0: Welcome to episode 79 of Control the Controllables. Today we have Anki Othavong, who is the GB Fed Cup Captain, or Billie Jean King Cup Captain now. She was a former British number one, about top 50 in the world WTA. I think 48 was her highest ranking. And she's got lots to give. She shares her story and I think... I think the big takeaways already for me as as I went through this podcast, we never quite know what someone's story is. You know, we see something and we make a judgment externally, and I think we're doing that all the time in life, and what's been so amazing for me is to kind of dig under the bonnet of some of these stories and just learning so much, and you you will learn a lot from Anne. Uh, she's She's a great girl. She's had a fantastic career, and she comes onto the podcast and shares so willingly and open, openly, uh, and I I thank her so much for that because I think there is a lot of lessons for tennis parents, for tennis players, and also tennis coaches in there. So enjoy that. Uh, Before we start with the show, again, just my little plea, my little thank you um, for the support, for the ratings, the reviews the getting in touch with us, the sharing on social media. Um, I listen to podcasts as well, and it is it is something that everyone on their podcast is saying because there really is value in having the ratings and reviews so that these podcasts can be uncovered by, by more and more people, which I think the messages deserve. So thank you for that. But before, before I gar- go on too much longer, I'm going to pass you over to Anne. So I'm Kyofa Thong. Thank you for joining me on Controller Controllables. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. You just botched my last name
0: though. <laughs> Tell, come on, you, you say it. Get, get All right.
1: The proper proper way, Geltavong, but no one ever says Geltavong. It's been yeah. westernized, so Kyotha is acceptable. Do
0: you know what? For about two days I've been trying to practice it to not say thong at the end of it. <laughs> and I've just managed to still still say it. So it's that's now. I thought I've got away with it I've said something we'll, we'll move on and now you've just shown me up in front of all these thousands of people <laughs> listening to this podcast how are you anyway how's, how's things your end?
1: Yeah all good um, just keeping busy um, running around after the kids um, it's pretty quiet on the work front at the moment um, but otherwise
0: all good. And for, and for those listening, we have here a, a former top 50 WTA player, which is a, a, an incredible landmark to get. Um, the current Fed Cup captain for, for GB. We've got lots of subjects to get into, Anne. Um, and the, the starting point with a lot of these podcasts, one, one of four children, children growing up, all heavily involved in tennis, I would say, So how did the whole kind of tennis world start in your family?
1: Um, Well, I guess to cut a long story short, my dad was a a huge tennis fan. And um, before he got married and had kids, he kind of vowed that if he he did have kids, he would want them to play tennis. And he was inspired um, by his first trip to Wimbledon as a young man. And seeing Chris Evert play, um, fell in love with her like a lot of men did. Um, and um, yeah, I guess that was the start. And he introduced uh, me and my younger, uh, sorry, me and my older brother to the game. I was four. So I was four years oh, old okay. when I first stepped on um, a short tennis court. Played a lot of short tennis with a sponge ball. Um, my first memory is actually crying and walking off the court because I had a wooden racket and everyone else had a normal mini tennis racket (laughs) and I was the only kid with a wooden racket so um yeah after I got my uh, first proper racket I was back in there and um yeah that was the start of the journey um progressed to I guess tennis by the time I was about seven and competed before I knew how to score yeah. um was entered into competitions um and yeah that was uh that was the start of the journey although it was a it was a difficult one and it was a a different one um growing up in Hackney a lot of time yeah. spent on park courts um Hackney Downs Park a lot of time ta- a lot of time spent hitting against the wall um in the I guess the 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 playground um on the estate we lived in in yeah. Hackney um and a lot of balls kind of fed to me by either my mum or my dad. So, um, yeah.
0: So were they the real driving force? Were they they were they were pushing it from an early age with with all of you or?
1: Um, Yeah, very much so. I mean, I I remember uh, vividly always having, I guess, James, who's 18 months older than me, always having him to to play with, to practice with. Lena was two years younger, so kind of got dragged along to a lot of things. But um, yeah, my my parents, particularly my dad, definitely being the driving force um, behind um, our tennis, I think he saw it as um, very much an aspirational sport um, and wanted to give us the opportunities that he never had. Um, It wasn't just tennis when we were younger, we did um, Taekwondo as well. So Mm -hmm. those were the two main sports um, we did growing up. Um, Taekwondo was really, well, a different reason for that growing up in Hackney felt like all of us should have some self, well, have some self-defense skills. Um, So uh, yeah, that, that was the reason behind getting into Taekwondo, but I would highly recommend it for any young kid, um, particularly young girls, because it does give you a huge amount of confidence and it certainly gave me a lot of confidence um, as I traveled the world from a very young age. Um, But yeah, dad, dad was yeah, I would describe him as very much a, a pushy tennis parent, but yeah. um, I can understand now, um, you know, why he was the way he was when yeah. we were growing up. Um, you know, times were hard; we didn't have much. Um, you know, there wasn't much money, so they yeah. invested a lot of time and effort into giving us opportunities, and obviously, they wanted to see results as well, and wanted yeah. to see that we were doing well. Um, but with that did come pressure to perform yeah. to win um maybe a little too much because there were times where i rebelled and yeah. um didn't want to listen um yeah. and just wanted my dad to be my dad but he you know he his heart was in the right place and he wanted the best for us um yeah. and i totally i totally get it um you know given given the lack of money, given um, our environment, um, he just wanted, as a parent, yeah. um, the best opportunities that he could yeah. give us.
0: And if you had reflective conversations with him since on, on those days, is it a subject that I guess is talked about in your family or is it kind of brushed under the carpet?
1: Yeah, no, it is um, spoken about and I have a great relationship with my parents. Um, you know, I'd, I would describe our family as Pretty close knit, and yep. you know, I chat to them every other day,
2: yep.
1: um, and uh, their great grandparents as well. Um, and you know, it's um, he he would admit, yeah, there were times probably he he pushed us too hard and wanted us to practice, wanted it perhaps more than we did at times. Yeah. I think I grew into the game. I, I think my love. For the sport kind of grew and on the back of um some of the success i had early on um but equally i don't think as a youngster i knew any different i yeah. kind of got taken to all these places yeah, and did yeah. what i was told um, but uh, and i happened to be good at it um from mm. a young age uh, top in the county and then i was identified you know re- to go to regional squads and then national level from um you know by the time i was nine or ten and all these national camps and all that kind of stuff, um, but you know he he saw it as a way out for us. And he grew up in a country where uh, he lost his parents uh, at a very young age. Um, yeah. You know, with uh, my parents are, are both from Laos. They met and married here in the UK. Yeah. Um, but um, growing up in Laos, um, you know, they had the Vietnam War. To, Right. Okay. well so, uh, you know, they've been through a lot of hardship, um, and they've seen a lot of things. You know, you wouldn't wish on anyone.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So I, I guess, um, living in in the UK, um, they saw opportunities and they just wanted a better life for us. And um, going to be, uh, one as well as education you know they were very much in terms of school work we went to an inner city school in, in hackney a hackney comp isn't um in terms of uh, education probably you know it, uh, the school we went to but my parents i do remember they were very much you know you've got to do well at school you've got to work hard you've got to listen to your teachers do your homework and um try and get those a grades if you can so um yeah. they were very driven
0: yeah but um, that's that's obviously been installed in in all of you guys and i i go back to actually and i'm i'm sure you won't remember this but it was i'm sure it would have been one of the first times i'd spoken to you and i think i'm three or four years older than you it was at redbridge and i think you must have been maybe 16 at the time or maybe even even younger and i remember coming away from that conversation thinking i couldn't believe how Mature, well-spoken, and educated—you sounded, for such a young girl, I guess. So, 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 I suppose it's for for because for those listening, you've done good. <laughs> you were top mm. fifty in the world. Is, are people then gonna go, well, that's what we need to do. We need to be pushy because we hear of all of these stories. I guess what would your your advice be to, to parents listening? Because on the back of this, we don't want everyone jumping in the local <laughs> park and maybe maybe misinterpreting what you're saying.
1: Yeah, no, it's um it's funny because um you know I have two young kids, um, a daughter who's four and a son who's just turned three. And my Daughter, yeah, she plays a lot of sports. Um, obviously, with with my background, I'd love for her to, um, you know, really get into her tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you know, I joke about potentially being a Tiger mom, and um, mm-hmm. my friends kind of um, take the piss a little bit. But I I kind of I want to give her the opportunities, mm-hmm. and I I kind of have. I can see similar traits in me that my
2: yeah.
1: my dad was like, and I have to suppress them because, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: you know, it, it wasn't always um, the right way. And, you know, we, uh, I think my daughter will, uh, my son uh, ha- will have opportunities I could have only dreamt of as a kid, mm-hmm. um, but they need to find their own way as well. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that, you know, for young kids, getting into a sport um, I do think it's really important for parents or carers to to be present and initially mm-hmm. you you do have to drive it because you know I do think not because necessarily you want that child to be a professional athlete but I do think it's important to to make sure kids are active and inevitably kids will rely on parents to take them to yeah. places where they Absolutely. can have opportunities to run around if they don't have the space at home or develop hand-eye coordination. And um, I do do think all those different skills, if it's possible and, and you are in a position to to give that to your child, then, um, you know, um, it's great if you can provide it. But I do think there, there was um, a big difference, um, I guess, with my childhood compared to my daughter's childhood as Really, the environment. Yeah, yeah. You know, you for me, you you grow up in Hackney, you want to move out of Hackney, you want something better for your yeah. life. Um, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, would I, would I would I have had the success I had had my parents not been as driven as they were? Mm. I don't know. They put certain things in place that gave Absolutely. me the opportunity um, to be successful. Um, and I do have to give them credit for it, but equally, there are a number of things I think could have been done differently, and perhaps I could have been a better tennis player for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I do think there was there was too much emphasis on winning and getting immediate results, yeah. rather than um, seeing the bigger picture and understanding the process. Yeah. Um, But I'm gonna sound like I'm contradicting myself, but equally it would have been hard for my parents to to see that, given that Mm. neither of them come from a a sporting background. Um and um, you know, there would have been a lot of pressure as well on them to to provide for four kids Mm -hmm. Um, in in tough circumstances, you know, we're a low-income family, Yeah, yeah, um, living on a housing estate a tiny flat um you know you you just do what you can to to give the best you can for your child Um, and um i guess in in that environment to to achieve that you do need to have a strict routine and you need there needs to be discipline absolutely Um, and i think it's very difficult to to do it any other way in that environment
0: absolutely and we know um, that, that traits, I guess, if we look, we look at many, there's been many tennis stories quite similar, you know, and, and that kind of, we know it's a real dog eat dog sport. It's an individual sport. It requires such resilience, perseverance, traveling on your own, tolerating difficult moments, you know, all of these sort of things. So it in some weird way, that upbringing seems to be an advantage in our sport because it's I think those are quite hard traits to install in privileged really privileged kids (laughs) you know yeah (laughs)
1: yeah I yeah I guess in some ways um and I would say I guess my my greatest strength if I was to describe myself and I'd hope other people would also describe me in a similar way is my resilience um you know having I guess um, overcoming adversity Uh, I don't know you you know depending on whatever environment you've grown up in and uh, the environment you're in you you have the ability to see things through different lenses
2: yeah um
1: and um I you know as a parent now I I do I do worry that you know my my kids are in a privileged position but Mm -hmm. I still want to instill that work ethic and that resilience in them, and um, to make sure they they never take anything for granted.
0: No, no, definitely, and I think that's the balance for parents to get. I certainly am struggling with that. Living in very posh sort of grande, you know, like <laughs> trying to. I do, and I try and get my kids to play sports, go to the local villages around, be around, you know, some some of the kids that don't have the same privileges for them to really understand. And part of me, and I keep threatening, me and my wife talk about it. Let's send them to some camp in China for four or five <laughs> weeks. They need to understand what real life's about. And, and it's, and it, and it's a very, very difficult balance, I think, to get as, as a parent because it also goes into we touched upon this before the podcast what your success measures are you know yeah. you've obviously got winning as a success measure but I'm, I'm sure you're very similar to me we also have happiness and, and health and mental yeah. health and, and all of those things that uh, uh, arguably well they are they're bigger than actually winning a tennis match so getting getting that balance is not easy for parents no it,
1: it's not easy and um you know what? What is success? How I viewed success when I when I played, and how I view success now are, are two very different views. Obviously, when I played it, it was um, all about winning and um, you know ranking, climbing climbing up the rankings, winning tournaments, winning matches, and um, performing uh, to the best of my ability, um, and you know if if i could do things again I, I would um i wish i could could have um yeah understood the process more
2: yep
1: i know it sounds a bit of a cliche yeah. but in terms of developing my game um yeah. you know in a, in a certain way working um you know working on my strengths making those super strengths and um not just focusing on the winning and losing which you know I, I do think the environment you're in can help towards that as well how you see things yeah. and um, I do think um, you know coaches you know who whoever that person you're working with at, at that time you know they need to be able to find a way to help that in players but Unfortunately, you know, coaches have egos as well. Coaches want their players to win. Obviously, I, you know, if I if I work with a player, I want to see that player do well. And if they if I don't see them perform well, that I take that a little bit personally as well. But you, you know, it takes a brave person to see the bigger picture, absolutely, um, and um, work on all those things, and then to be able to communicate that with a player, um, to be that motivator, to make that person feel good about themselves not just as a tennis player but as a person um you know it's um yeah i i do kind of at my playing days everything i took took too personally but that also came on the back of you know pressure i put on myself to it wasn't just about me it was about my family as well wanting to be able to provide and help my parents as well Um, and you know all of that came at a very young age for me
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And I I do sometimes, when I look back, I do get emotional about it because it was just, I can't believe I kind of lived that life. Um, It was, um, yeah, it was hard, but it was fulfilling. Yeah.
0: Um, Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy your tennis journey?
1: I, there were, I don't think I enjoyed every part of it. No, No, not at all. Um, But, in terms of what it's given me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, You know, it's given me opportunities to do things. Um, It's opened a lot of doors for me um, for life after tennis. Um, And um, yeah, you know, I would, it's not, I would never try and put someone off on going on that journey. Um, Yeah, people ask me before I had kids, uh, they would ask me, oh, if you had a son or daughter, would you want your son or daughter yeah. to be a professional tennis player? And before I had kids, I would say no. Yeah. But now, actually, if if they showed interest, if they had um, the right, I guess, mindset, work ethic, um, and desire to, to be that person, then I would absolutely support it. Because mm-hmm. I, I do think tennis teaches you so many things. You you know, you do learn to deal with adversity. You do learn to become resilient. You do learn, you know, so many different skills that you don't even yeah. realize. You're, you're managing your own business yeah, yeah. Um, from a very young age, um, making decisions, um, you know, that a lot of other people in, yeah. in different circumstances perhaps wouldn't. Um, and, um, you know, touch wood, we all live a long and yeah. healthy life. Tennis, yeah. really, as a professional tennis player, Really is actually just a small part is, yeah. in, in anyone's life, and yeah. um, you know it, it does, um, yeah, provide you with a great skill set for yeah. for whatever you may do after.
0: No, it does, but even on like this conversation today, we've not had a chat for a few years, really, probably, and you know, there's some amazing people, you know, and pretty much every person, you know, and like even like through this podcast series of however many podcasts it is, it's really brought that home to me you know, that we're, there's a bond, there's a bond that we all have, that Mm. we, we all get it. We all know, you know, we all know the difficulties. We all know what it means when you have that win at Wimbledon, or you have that success in, in whatever is relative within our sport. And, and genuinely there is thousands of amazing people in this sport, you know, who yeah. like, and 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 how, I guess, how can we also, because I obviously have that with my kids, very similar. And I think what you say hits the nail on the head. I probably would have said that before I have kids. And now that I've got kids, I've got, uh, you know, one of them certainly plays relatively seriously now, you know, they all, I see the joy they get from the sports, mm. but I'm also excited to see, their social lives that come from the sport and the the people that they're meeting. I don't, the the word networking almost implies that it's for something else, but it's not that it's just purely having these relationships, you know, and and connecting with, with other human beings on a, on a certain level. And it's, it's lovely to see that. And I think that stuff's often under talked about (laughs) because it's so individual when you're in. And that's why, when I asked the question about, did you enjoy it? I think two. We that's the hard part. How do we, we reflect when we're still doing it? Yeah, that's that's something that's very difficult to do until after we stop playing. I think.
2: Yeah,
1: I think yeah. When you're when you're in it, it's sometimes it's very difficult to see, and that's why I think it's so important to have good people around you to help you um, maintain perspective. Yeah. Um. Because I think yeah, you're you're just in the here and now as a, as a as a tennis player as a competitive tennis player you just you know you just want immediate results yeah. um but we all know it you know you can't always have that immediate gratification you've got yeah. to work for it and you've got to be able to put the jigsaw the pieces together um yeah. and be able to see the bigger picture um, but uh, yeah no tennis tennis for me yeah has has really been amazing i, I think I see it more from a family perspective. I do feel like it's the glue that kind of keeps us all together and connect yeah. keeps us all connected. Yeah, yeah. And we're, you know, if I just think about my own family, my brother who, James, who's umpiring and, you know, very passionate about tennis, yeah. you know, loves playing himself. Um, and my sister, Lena, um, a couple of years younger than me, she still very much enjoys playing tennis and she, she never, she never played professionally or anything like that, but she um, uh, was a very good club player, um, well, club level tennis player. Um, as a junior, she was national level. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and I'll never forget for her, for her when she captained the Cumberland women's team, when yeah, they okay. became Aegon national
0: champions. Yeah, yeah.
1: How she cried with joy.
2: (laughs) I remember looking at
0: her thinking,
1: oh, my God, it really means that much to her. And it's all relative. It's
0: all relative, yeah.
1: It's all relative. And um, my younger brother, Mark, who I think plays more than any of us, you know, every weekend, if he can play and have a hit with someone, he will um, and plays a lot of club tennis. So, you know, I I think, um, yeah, if I were to ask my parents, uh, you know, I know they're really proud of all of us. And they they have no regrets about yep. doing it maybe they could have done a few things differently but at the equally we've we've all turned out all right and yeah. um we still really enjoy the game and we're all passionate about the Absolute. game in different ways
0: absolutely and and there with the with the four of you because i'm i'm one of four and i guess i've reflected on this a lot I was the one that a lot of attention went to a lot of emotional attention, a lot of financial attention, a lot of time, time attention because of the the nature, the international nature. And I know all of your siblings played, but you already playing ITF junior tournaments, age 12, professional tournaments, 14 junior Wimbledon, semi-finalist, 18 years old, 270 in the world WTA. It was all happening quite fast. What's, what impact did that have on you guys as a family at that, yeah. in that moment?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of the attention, a lot of the focus growing up was on my tennis and everyone kind of worked around my tennis and yeah. in terms of everyone's lives kind of worked around my tennis. And, you know, I it would have been hard on my siblings for sure, but I don't... I don't know, you'd probably have to ask them for a better, more honest (laughs) um, answer. But I don't think they resented it because they also witnessed, um, you know, my dad was probably tougher on me than he was on on them. Um, So they probably didn't really resent me (laughs) for it because they knew it came with with added pressure. Um, And they are yeah i mean even to this day now i mean they they're incredibly loyal and they i think they probably took some things more personally than me in terms of the negativity in terms mm. of you know if something was um, written about me it, you know if i had a bad result or whatever and i was criticized for my performance or if i was you know the you know you, you usually you get around the grass court season you know typical brit mm. out bombs out in the first round not good enough blah blah mm. blah um, they would take things like that more personally than yeah. I would. And yeah. even now, if my brother yeah. ever reads anything negatively about me, he'll be on the phone to me, I can't believe so and so said this about you, or, yeah. you know, that's not fair. I'll be yeah. like, oh, I really couldn't care less. It doesn't bother me. But
0: Well, James is more in the firing line than you probably now. You've yeah. all got to protect him now
1: yeah well I, you know I feel the same about him you know when I see a player have a go at him or anyone criticize him I'm obviously I'm naturally yeah. biased I think he's the best umpire in the world um, but he is human and I'm sure he will make mistakes occasionally yeah. um, but um yeah I, yeah we're we're all very loyal um, yeah. towards one another and,
0: and trying to stick up for each other where we can. I have to get james on the podcast you have to you have to let him know honestly because i and i'm not saying this because you're you're on i'm with you on that i think he gets he gets the the energy the, the the way so right in such a difficult pressurized situation you know there's obviously there's a couple of examples i'm sure over the years where people can can picture James having whether it's Nick Kirios or whether it's somebody, you know, having a Goredom. And and I really do. He command he commands and leads that court in such a, a nice calm way. You know, and that's you know and I'd love I'd love to speak to him on that as well. And you know, also speak to him on the different lenses of tennis, you know, like yeah. because that's I suppose that's my big motivation for this podcast. I want people to see that tennis is a vehicle to take you in many different directions. It doesn't just have to be top Mm. 50 WTA. It doesn't have to be winning Wimbledon, but he's on the centre court at Wimbledon doing the Wimbledon final as someone who's officiating and, you know, commanding that from the best in the world. And I think it's such a lovely story for people to see as well.
1: I'll work on it for you.
0: Yeah, I know he's (laughs) probably got a few agents now that he's such a superstar. But you know, I've had to go through through a few agents. (laughs) But my last one on your on your siblings, do you think that your success potentially stunted their growth? Ooh,
1: good question. Um, I don't know. In in terms of. What their their growth resource
0: of... resource time, you know that maybe went into you,
2: mm.
0: that you know like I remember your sister she was a very good junior you know did, did she not get the same amount of time attention, I guess resource in in general because it was all filtering your way, um
1: maybe but I mean she up until you know she was a she was a national level level junior um but never you know in the top four in her age group never never considered playing professionally she went to every one of my siblings went to university I'm the only one who didn't go to university they all played tennis for for their university team um but she I don't know not that size matters but she is significantly shorter than I am. Ah, <laughs> um,
0: screw her. She's done.
1: <laughs> but she was, a, I don't know, she, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, maybe, but they got dragged around to, they played in the same tournaments that I did um, in terms of uh, national tournaments, um, you know, county level events. Um, they they had the opportunities. They were just never as good from a yeah. young age. Does that sound really arrogant?
0: <laughs> no, no at all. <laughs> I hope your sister's not listening to this. Yeah, she wasn't as good. She's tiny. She's <laughs> can we can we make it a number three? Can we really like put the dagger in her? Come on, what's next? No,
1: no, no. But Sorry, she, she she's a nicer, she, you know, yeah. we look very similar, but I would always describe her as the nicer version. The, the nicer Vong sister. <laughs>
0: so you've got yourself out of trouble, well there, Anne. Yeah, no, <laughs>
1: she. But no, I, I don't think I don't think so because they're they're all um, successful in their in their own fields. Yeah. I mean, James is an umpire. Uh, Lena works in asset management and is doing really well. Um, and Mark works in marketing. So you know, they we're all in. I guess we all um, have very different jobs, Um, and yeah, I don't think so. I don't think Lena or James would have ever wanted to have been a professional tennis player. Um, Mark, I think, would have loved to have been a professional tennis player, but he just wasn't. Yeah, I feel sorry. I think I feel sorry for Mark because he's um, a lot younger than um, the rest of us, and he, yeah, he probably didn't quite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By the time the fourth one came along, I think my parents
2: had had
0: enough. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, where I think this is such a fascinating chat is like when you're saying what you're saying about all the siblings and yourself. It's almost it's like the perfect family, you know. That oh, you guys. Oh no, uh, no, no,
1: but, no one's perfect.
0: <laughs> no, and I know that, but I think it's really nice to that you're you're being so open and sharing this because it's to to see that but beneath it all. And, and, and actually the, the question that's in my head, and it's probably a bit of a reflective question on myself. So I think I sometimes feel, I sometimes think a little bit too idealistic, if that's a word, I almost, mm-hmm. I almost think in the ideal. And it's like, when we talk about success as an example, you know, and I've talked a lot about this in the podcasts, Come on, we don't let's not worry about winning. We worry about happiness. We worry about health. We worry about being a nice person. We worry about, you know, take care of those things. And the byproduct is but the but the reflective bit for me is there does probably need to be that little bit of edge that little bit of yeah something that little bit of needle that little bit of and so so then it then opens up the thing of of, of the balance you know and Mm. it's it's so difficult because again speaking to you and I never knew your story or didn't know you know how how it all started for you and certainly my perception of you would be wow she's you know, just always very smiley, always, you know, well-educated, did it, but, but actually beneath there, there was some hard, real hard yards going on and some hard things that you had to work through. And, and yeah, I just think it's, it's a good story for people to hear.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I don't, I don't believe in having it all. I don't yeah. believe anyone, um, can ever have it all, but I yeah. do believe, um, you know at some point we do have to be content with what we do have and appreciate what we do have and um you know I I do um yeah there I don't know having spent much of my life as a competitive athlete I don't think you lose that competitive edge in whatever um you then go on to do that it's always there it's um yeah give me an opportunity to to be competitive, then uh, um, no, you know the, you know the there's the potential of the bitch coming out again. But I <laughs>
2: can I say that No,
0: You can. Do you can. That.
2: You
0: can. Um, I've had Kieran um, Vorster on here, Anne. I mean, Kieran Vorster. I, I mean, I I don't have I haven't got a beep noise to make. But if I did, then we wouldn't have heard half of Kieran's talk. It was just beep <laughs> every other word.
1: Yeah.
0: So but, can but, I?
1: Yeah. No. It's a uh, yeah.
0: No gone. Can I move you on to your your professional career? So you last year juniors, I guess you made semifinals. Was it semifinals of of junior Wimbledon lost to uh, uh, future world number one in, in Safina? Um, and then already at that point you were kind of 270, 270 in the world. So already really starting to to make your name. How would you view your professional career? Would you view it as a success? Would you, were you, did you feel and really believe you were heading towards a top ten in the world? You know how 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 would you see the whole kind of professional career?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think at seventeen, yeah, you know, as you you mentioned, semifinals, junior Wimbledon, WTA ranking, kind of going in the right direction. Yeah. But I was still a teenager and still very immature in many ways, and perhaps not quite ready. A lot of the tournaments I competed in up until that age, I mean, if we're talking ITF Pro Circuit tournaments, we're actually in the UK. And, um, you know, some people will be aware of the WTA rules. You're limited to the number of tournaments you can play up until the age of 18. But back then, we were lucky that there were a lot of tournaments um, at that level in the UK where I didn't have to travel too far. Um, But I think between the ages of 17 and 1920 I do feel like that was yeah I did lose my way a little bit um and those are the crucial years I think particularly in the young young girl young woman um you know you're still trying to find your feet you're traveling the world you're you know you're looking um again your your independence and um view view the world through your own eyes rather than yes you know, constantly being influenced by others. Um, and I did, I do remember looking into American college, mm. chatting to some college coaches um, because I wasn't sure whether professional tennis was for me or whether I was even ready for it, despite my results and success. Um, but I also remember being told at the time by um, one or two people, you know, being criticized at the time. Well, I think I may yeah. Basically, if you're looking into American college, you can't be serious about your tennis.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, I'd like to think that view has changed over the years. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think, you know, if you can get a tennis scholarship into a, a college, I think um, that is uh, one way. And not everyone's ready for it at that age. And no, looking know. back, perhaps I could have done a year or two at American college yeah. because I'm not sure what I achieved um, really traveling the world you know just being angry the whole time um,
0: yeah, yeah. So, we've, all uh, been there. we've all been there
1: yeah <laughs> um, so um, yeah I do kind of wonder and when people talk about American college now I actively encourage it I, I do mm-hmm. think it's um well you, we've seen this people come through it and um, who have been who um come through with success in not just on the male side, you've seen Cameron Norrie, you know, British yeah. player, but Jennifer Brady on the women's side, Danielle Collins, who have all come through the college oh. route and are successful in their own right. Um, uh, but I had, um, yeah, top 50 achieving that, yeah, getting into the world's top 50 was a great achievement. I do wonder, I do think perhaps I could have been better had it not been for the knee injuries I had.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I had my first one when I was 20, um, where I fell, um, yeah, competing out in the States. Um, and Colin Beecher, who you've just had on the podcast, was actually my coach at the time, and I snapped my um, ACL. Um, and that was, that was tough, because I was still mm. quite young. Um, um, but it was when it happened the second time, that was a big blow because I was ranked inside the world's top 50 and I felt so, I was fit, I was playing well and I was really enjoying my tennis. Um, And that was, um, yeah, that was a big blow. Although I, I, you know, I managed to recover and got my ranking back inside the top 100, Um, but my goodness, you know, I do remember having to work so hard, but I had great people around me helping me with the rehab. at the time as well, um, but I, I always um, after the second knee injury you know I I picked up a lot of injuries after that um, and I never physically I never felt right, um, I was getting more um, problems with my hip, my back, my feet um, and um, you know on the back of that um, second um, knee injury yeah it, I never felt physically. I never felt the same, and um, yeah, I, I never quite, never convinced I could get back to where I was. Despite yeah. getting back to about seventy odd, it was yeah. never good enough. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, which sounds ridiculous now.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it does. But again, it's it's back to what we're. I guess it it's a it's quite a common theme with with all of you. Top class athletes, and we've had we've had so many of them now that have been top hundred in the game. It it's what also makes you guys so good because that's how you think. You know, it's not oh, I've made it now; I'm now top hundred. I can now put my feet up. It's it's this constant, this constant drive to get better. This constant want, which which where I think it's so hard in elite sport is is that way of thinking also brings a lot of emotional stress on the mind and bring, and i think it's why we see so many mental health issues in the sport as well because it's that kind of striving for being being perfect almost mm. it, it, it does bring a whole lot of, of other things that you have to deal with so it doesn't surprise me at all to hear you talk like that i mean look at andy murray now i mean why why the hell does andy murray need to you know yeah. what he's achieved you know like yeah he's putting himself through that Day in, day out still. Because yeah. he 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 obviously believes that you know he's got more to give and more to achieve and he and he wants to do it whilst 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 he still feels that he can. But it's not a normal mindset, you know. You, you guys that have gone and achieved what you've achieved, it isn't the your normal walking down the street, boy or girl, you know, and it's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so which is why it's so fascinating also to to hear hear that insight.
1: Yeah, and very much so when you're in an individual sport.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it's you know it's very different if you're involved in a team sport, but um, you know, tennis is unique in that way. Um, you know, it's um yeah, you you have to be driven um to to really stand any chance um in the game professionally.
0: Yeah, man. You, I you have, have to, to
1: deal with the knocks.
0: Yeah. I have to go back to Colin Beecher, I've got a big smile on my face here because Colin Beecher is your coach when you had your knee injury. I'm just trying to do a timeline here, and I'm thinking (laughs) that's probably when he had when he had young kids, which which as he told us on the podcast is the perfect time to travel as a coach (laughs) when you have young kids. So when you had a knee injury, he must have been gutted that he had to (laughs) that he had to go back and look after his kids. (laughs) Can't have been happy with you.
2: No, he
1: could have been happy with me, and I've given him grief about that. Uh, I was on the phone to him last night, giving him grief after I listened to that <laughs> podcast. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Colin, Colin's a, a great guy and um, very much uh, at the heart of British tennis. You, if you're so. involved in British tennis, you know who Colin Beecher is and you know what
0: he stands for. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Can I, just to move into one one other subject uh, around tennis, there's also. I guess I want to dispel some myths in tennis or, or confirm them, you know, they might, they might be real. And what I hear a lot in tennis is this kind of stereotypical working with a girl working in, in women's tennis, that they need lots of one-on-one attention. You know, their emotions are very high, you know, they they can be quite difficult. They don't get on with each other, you know, all of these sort of things. Is that true? And was that true for you?
1: It's, um, you know, all those things you said, I, I kind of want to sit here shaking my head. Yeah. Um, but I do very much believe it's dependent on, on the environment and yeah. the environment you create um, and the culture you yeah. create and what you allow people to get away with and what you yeah. don't. And hold people accountable for certain things. Um, I don't think a woman is any more emotional than a man. It's just perhaps how, I don't know, how we communicate it, um, how we express ourselves. Um, you know, what's right for one person isn't necessarily right for another. If we're being stereotypical, men may kind of hold on to their emotions and perhaps not speak about their feelings in the same way women do but then you meet some guys who are able to who are very much in in touch with their own feelings so you know without stereotyping I I would like to disagree with um, those statements in terms of how you you coach I don't know I mean I I have my coaching qualifications I wouldn't call myself a coach because it's not you know I think that's disrespectful to all the other coaches are doing who are doing the work day in day out because that's not what I do on a day-to-day basis um, and um, there are other people more, I guess, experienced to, to speak about the differences more so than I am. But from my own experience, um, you know, I think for, for any successful coach, you've got to be a good communicator. Yeah. You've got to be able to communicate um, with that player, whether that player likes to talk or not, but you have to find what's right for that player. So you have mm-hmm. to make yourself adaptable yeah. to the player or the players you're working with and that's a skill in itself um, but I think you know for me a great coach is also a great motivator
2: yeah.
1: because uh, yes you want a play you want to work with a player who has a great work ethic um, but even those players with great work ethics um, and you know who have the attention to detail don't necessarily want you know, find that hard to do every day. So you you have to kind of bring that to the mm. table as a coach. Um, but I've kind of deviated, haven't I? I haven't really answered your question. Is, do you have to coach differently for boys or girls? I don't know. Once it, you have to just treat the person as an individual. Yeah. Um, what may work for one female player won't work for another female player.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's why as a coach you've got to be adaptable yes you've got to stick to your values um, but you do have to be adaptable because everyone's different Um, I see it more so I mean I don't know maybe I see it more so through my daughter's eyes at the moment um, and just kind of you know taking it to well not now because it's locked down but having taken it to different sports activities seen how different sports do it seen how the way different coaches work I think at a young age perhaps it's more relevant
2: yeah.
1: how you engage with boys and how you engage with girls yeah. um, but as as they get older as they mature as they become clearer as to what they want um, i don't think so
0: necessarily yeah no, very good i think the biggest my biggest takeaway on that Anne, and that i would absolutely fully agree with is that males are as emotional as females and I, and i think actually almost my my bit on this is for coaches listening and also for parents is sometimes i think it's that the males that don't get coached in the right way because we think they're boys and they're macho and they're this and they you know and they like the banter and they like people being sarcastic to them and they like having the piss taken you know whereas actually in my experience and it'll be a couple of players that you know but I I won't mention them of players that I've I've worked with to to a fairly high level it's actually the boys that have taken to that stuff a lot worse actually really and it's, yeah it really is and i think i think there's a there's a danger in our sport where you you do have some very alpha males you know Your dan evans is of the world mm-hmm. that yeah absolutely that's the environment that he he likes and he thrives in and he but there is then there is the group of boys that get sucked into that and it just doesn't work for them and they end yeah. up being highly insecure whereas i think Already, we're probably when we're coaching girls in general, we're starting on that level, mm. and then. It, but then again, my experience of working with some girls that have been in around two, three hundred WTA, they're a lot tougher than some of the boys I've worked with, and yeah. they and they can actually take more banter, and they can take more physical work, and they can, you know, and and even like and I've had a couple of players they they like they they actually prefer traveling in groups, so it's kind of. I just, and again, you said it, I think Beach said it as well, treat every individual as an individual. <laughs> let's, not label, yeah. let's not label too many people, you know, let's just, you know, take everyone on their own rights, get to know them, connect with them, and then you've got a chance of of, of helping them a, a, along that line. And I think it's, again, it's a subject that I just want to bring to the forefront because I think yeah. we are guilty of, of lazy labelling a little bit in our sport.
1: Yeah. One thing, I mean, I do think... Um, in terms of your question about girls practicing together and the potential bitchiness and and all that kind of stuff you know that equally happens when you get a group of guys practicing together and you know you start playing points and the finger goes up and there's a dodgy line call and someone's questioning it and you think oh for goodness sake this is just a practice session (laughs) you know let's get on with this um or whether you're drilling and perhaps the feed doesn't go in the, yeah. you know exactly the right place on the court and someone rolls their eyes and that triggers somebody else
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know it's you know that those kind of things happen whether you're in a group of girls with a group of girls or group of boys but what I do think should be encouraged more um is basically boys and girls men and women practicing together more um, and that helps break it up um yeah. you know and I don't see, I don't understand why there isn't more of that. Um, When I was younger, you know, that benefited me, benefited me greatly when I Mm. remember traveling, um, working with Alan Jones, Joe Jury and the squad in that environment. You know, you had young players like me at the time and Elena Baltacher, Hannah Collin with the older players, more Mm. experienced players like Joe Ward, Lorna Woodruff, but, and the men as well, Will Herbert, Chris Wilkinson, and we were all mixing in. Yeah. Not sure whether Chris Wilkinson or Will Herbert appreciated hitting with me at the time, you know, a young teenage girl. But, you know, it was, that's how it was. And yeah. that was the environment they created. And that credit to them, yeah. you know, there was banter. There was a lot of fun. There was a lot of hard work. And um, there were tears as yeah. well. Yeah, um, but, you know, that's uh, that's the kind of environment I'd love to see more of. Yeah. And perhaps you can... Yeah, I, I don't know, if you grow up in that type of if you can create that kind of environment and culture with kids from a young age, then as they get older, you know, that will seem more normal. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't necessarily like the one on one coaching. I, I prefer seeing things in a group situation because I
2: yeah.
1: I do look back in my own career as well and sometimes there were times where I was in group situations, but times where it was just too much one on one and it's too intense.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: it's too intense especially absolutely. if you're traveling with that person you know yeah. you see them at breakfast lunch dinner i mean get out of my face you know? yeah
0: no absolutely <laughs> but it's a big error people make i mean i see it because what you're talking about there around the boys and girls practicing together i think that naturally does happen in academy environments and i think mm-hmm. i almost think once you're selected you're selected into a federation it it has to be a bit more serious, and it's no. We have to separate it, and we have to, you know, have one on one coaches, and, and 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 I think that that certainly happens. But then I also the amount of times I've seen players go, actually, no, we're going to go. I'm going to go one on one with this coach, and I sit now down there. I'm pretty blunt now, age forty. I'm not going to kind of mess around with those conversations, and I say, okay, go for it. And they give me a call in two months when it hasn't worked. yeah, these are the reasons it won't work, you know, and it's not about you trying to stay at this academy, you go to but but right now, your child needs all of these different parts of their of their training, development, social aspect, you know, however it might be, and every guaranteed every time, two, three months later. He was a nightmare. She was a nightmare. She just, you know, that's it's difficult. It's any any relationships difficult. Living living with someone's difficult when it gets that (laughs) intense. And there's almost nothing more intense than a one-on-one player player coach relationship. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, and the one thing I would advise to a lot of young players now, when I speak to them, I was like, "There's nothing nothing wrong." When I speak to parents, nothing wrong with as long as your child is old enough to let them go to a tournament on their own yeah, yeah. Let them figure it out by themselves. There's nothing wrong with, with that. And looking back, sometimes I wish I'd, uh, you know, at certain yeah. times in my career I could have done a bit more of that. Yeah. There were, you know, there were plenty of times I chose to do that myself without a coach, without a trainer, just, and actually, yeah. I look at some of my results. Some of the t- my best results came when I was on my own.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So, you yeah, know, yeah. you've got no one to look at, no one to yeah, argue yeah. with. You you've just got to get on with it. Yeah. Um, and there there is a time and a place for that. Yeah.
0: And we're talking about some of your best results and some of your best memories from your playing career. What stands out?
1: Mm-hmm. I think um, well, the US Open was always my my favorite event as well as Wimbledon um yeah. which I guess as a British player you have to say
2: yeah I
1: didn't like playing on grass but I like Wimbledon yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but US Open when I reached the third round that was a lot of fun I remember my second round match against Francesca Schiavone who was yeah. a seeded who Neverland, she was seeded yeah. I can't remember what but it was a, a three-step battle and um you know I, I just loved New York I love going back to New York um uh, my cousin lived in New York and so you know I'd have a lot of fun there as well. Um, Yeah, I always thought I'd live in New York. for
0: What a city
1: that is. Yeah, I know, that's never happened. Um, That's something, I don't know, maybe one day. Um, But Wimbledon as a British player playing on centre court for the first time, um, that was against Venus Williams and she was defending champ and... You know, it, I didn't get completely thrashed. It was actually half decent. Well, decent yeah. first set,
0: anyway. 6-4-6-love? Um, six, six, no. 6-4-6-1. 7-5-6-2. Did you play her twice at Wimbledon? Seven, Did you play her twice? I played her,
1: no. I played her in singles and I played her in doubles. Okay. That was, yeah, I was target practice for the double snatch. <laughs> oh, <yeah.
2: laughs>
1: Can you imagine playing against Serena and
2: Venus? Oh, goodness.
1: And I, I, my partner was Claire Curran, and um, yeah, we got smoked. But it, we were
0: both target practice. I mean, it was and just different brand, especially then, wasn't it? I mean, they were playing a different brand of tennis, just they were,
1: Yeah, well, they, I mean, they, they, they're, they're great. They're, they, um, they really are inspirational people. Um, and yeah. what they've achieved in the game is phenomenal. And Serena's, well, both of them still going. But yeah, no, that doubles match I do remember vividly. Kind of, you know, at the at the coin toss at the net, kind of Venus looking at me, staring at me, and then me looking at my tretsuit suit top, thinking, oh, "Have I got some bird shit on my top or something? <laughs> what? Why is she? What's she looking at? And then in the warm up, hitting up and down with Venus, and you know, if I didn't hit the ball sh- directly at her. Yeah. So she'd just be like rolling her eyes, oh up. no, <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is what she, she thinks of this.
1: Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was a great, great experience, but playing on Centre Court for the first time was um, definitely, um, yeah, a highlight. Um, and beating Anna Rovanovich in Luxembourg, there was a Luxembourg WTA event where I made semi-finals twice. Um, I loved playing on indoor hardcourt yeah, and yeah. yeah, that was definitely one of my best wins, one of my best performances. Um, but really, um, you know, there, there's so many different highlights at different stages.
2: Yeah.
1: I could kind of go on and on yeah. and um, pick out different moments which made me feel good for different reasons, whether it was yeah. winning a tournament in Lebanon on clay on my least favorite surface, which then got, you um, my ranking up high enough where I, I got into Wimbledon on my own ranking for the first nice. time. Things, things like that. But, you know, the people you meet along the way and, um, yeah, the memories you create.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, that, that, for me, uh, yeah, has probably been, um, yeah, the biggest highlight, the memories you're able to create
0: and with people you, along the way. And do you remember beating Angelique Kerber in the final of a 25k in czech republic
1: i do i do because that that tournament that that 25k where was it in the czech republic um i can't remember where it was indoors on the fastest supreme court site totally up my street (laughs) but i remember seeing petra kvitova for the first time that i think was one of her first itf tournaments okay and seeing this young teenage girl who You know, who obviously then has gone on to achieve incredible things. But seeing her there for the first time, I think she lost first round to Katrina Bomova, who I may have played doubles with that week.
0: That Um, is a good memory.
1: Yeah, I think so. I need to double check that. But I think, uh, hopefully I'm not making that up. Um, But yeah, I do remember that because it was was a tough match. I had some epic matches Mm -hmm. against Kerber. And I remember Mm -hmm. her playing a lot of ITF tournaments before... Mm -hmm. Um she uh, then went to achieve the, I would never back yeah. then, would never have thought
0: she had uh, achieved yeah. what she has. Yeah, well, I noticed you'd played her in two ITF finals, but I chose to pick the one that you won. Oh, <laughs>
1: that, that's very good of you.
0: <laughs> and, and the other one that really stood out to me when I was looking through it last night was 2005 Glasgow beating Sybil Kova, However, not to piss on your parade, Anne, then losing the next round to Rebecca Llewellyn. So I was like, I was like Sybil Cova. I was, I was going through, I was going, I'm going to, I bet Anne's had some amazing wins. I want to see this. And no disrespect to Rebecca Llewellyn at all. And I was like, come on, Anne, you've got to back that win up. You've got to back that win up.
1: No, at the time, Sybil Cova was still very young. I think she was, okay. she was still playing juniors. Um, but, yeah, I, now that you've mentioned that, that's, um, that's, yeah. I, I do, I haven't seen Becky Llewellyn for some time, but, yeah, that's probably
0: not one of my best performances. Seven, six in the third, it was. I so do, you, you I do almost... remember
1: being traumatised by the moon ball. <laughs>
0: um, but Indoorsed
1: I think Sybil I think... I did beat Sybil Corvey at a WTA event in Pattaya.
0: Right, okay. And
1: that was on a very fast hard court. That was probably a more more significant win against her than the
0: one in Glasgow. Hmm. <laughs> but it is. I, I mean that that stuff for I me. And again. Because I do want, like, a lot of juniors, a lot of parents, to take these messages as well. It 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 fascinates me looking through that. I mean, I did it once with my relatively rubbish level, and I looked and I was like, "What? I beat Dustin Brown? What? I beat this guy? What?" You know, and you're like, there were yeah. probably twelve, you know, but but still, just to say, I remember Mark Hilton. Obviously, you know Mark very well. Yeah, five foot one. Played, played a seven foot guy we were in college we uh, we were in america sorry playing uh playing tournaments and he beat him 6-1 6-1 and you saw them shaking hands and he and that was john isner as well oh you know? really so, yeah so you, it is it's amazing all these stories
1: yeah no one of these days i'll look back on my results but i do think a lot of tennis players you know you develop this ability to compartmentalize yeah things well you have to you know if you're competing week Absolutely. on week you're losing you know Ninety percent of the time, right? Yeah. Each week, unless you're winning the tournament, um, you have to kind of deal, well, deal with adversity, losing, and figuring it yeah. out, and moving on to the next event. Um, but I do, uh, I do remember uh, it happens in commentary as well, with sometimes whoever I'm commentating with. But also when I was playing, you know, coach, I won't, I won't name the coach. The coach asked me, you know, have you played this person before? And I was adamant, I'd never played this person before. <laughs> And um he looked back at my head to head record, or he just checked the head to head record, and it turned out I'd played her three times. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's things like that where you know yeah. you yeah, you know, I'd almost forgotten that match against Rebecca yeah. Llewellyn until you mentioned it. But um,
0: Sleepless Nights, you'll have you'll have sleepless nights yeah, on that
1: one. I
2: will <laughs> now, I will now. But
1: even it happens in commentary where you yeah. are commentating about a player. Have I played that person? Yeah. I think I have, or maybe I'm yeah. not.
0: Have to double check these. Yeah. things. And how how is the commentary? How is how's the commentary journey been? Because you've been doing that for a few years now, huh?
1: Yeah, well that that journey started pretty much as soon as I um retired back in 2013. Um BT Sport launched that summer and yeah. I was very fortunate to be offered a contract to to commentate on women's tennis. So yeah you know, I was 29 when I retired from yeah. professional tennis, which now seems like it's yeah, long time ago but very young mm. you see so many players Absolutely. playing well into their 30s and I do wonder whether I could have carried on for a bit longer and got a bit more out of myself but yeah we'll never know yeah. um, but at the time it seemed like the right thing to do and I was ready to move on. Um, I had this opportunity BT Sport had a great almost seven years with them um, They were, it was a great team to work with um, you know it was huge kind of learning experience because you don't you don't get trained up no. for these, um, for these things. and I, I did a bit of commentary whilst I was still playing it was something that interested yeah. me. Um, and um, I remember the last few years of my playing career kind of um, just um, asking for opportunities, taking opportunities wherever I could at, at tournaments to gain a bit of in- yeah. experience and insight into that world. Um, And, um, you know, I've I've enjoyed it. This year, well, this year, all all the men's and women's tennis is now on Amazon. Um, And I did a bit for them, uh, the US Open and Rome. Um, But it's been a difficult year um, for everyone. And in terms of work opportunities, there hasn't been as much as there has been in the past because there's been a lack of events. So, you know, there's a a knock-on effect um, everywhere um, but everyone's in the same boat it is what it is but it's um, yeah it, it's it's been a, a good insight to see things um, you know from I guess uh, a different seat and to see how things work and in the broadcast world and TV rights world how um, how many people actually that's always something that surprised me when I first started how many mm-hmm. people were involved in terms of Producing, you know, a tennis match or um, you know live tennis for the week, Um, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. Which you know, when you're playing, you 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 don't think about you. You have no reason to think about it. Um, But I do try and explain it to some players now. You know, go and do that interview. You know how you how you come across, how you speak, how people perceive you. Um, You know, if you could see see yourself yeah maybe you'd you'd speak differently or say things differently or or um i don't know be yeah. a little bit more open in
0: areas yeah well ultimately it's the it's arguably the biggest part of of the sport if if we want if we if we want to to continue bringing in the finance and the economics that can up pay the players you know mm. and can and can get the whole ecosystem going you know and I, and I, and i do think oh, i hope that this this pandemic period is is opening some people's eyes to that 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 it's not it's not a given that tennis is going to be there in 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 the in in the form of a million dollars to win this tournament and 40,000 for losing in the first round of this tournament we we're, we're going up against a lot of other entertainment businesses yeah. out there, you know, which are which are growing all the time, you know. So yeah. The, the media is at the forefront of that.
1: Yeah. And I do, you know, I I think it's so important now more than ever that players are actually educated about yeah. this and what goes into events and how much money is involved and how the business model
2: works. Yes, absolutely.
1: Because most players don't get it because well rightly so they're focused on their own tennis, But I don't think it would take much to really sit down and listen and have someone explain to you, well, these are the facts and you want X amount of money. You want this, you want that. You want to have the nice things in life mm-hmm. Well, this is what goes into it. And if mm-hmm. you, you know, if you can cooperate and if you can just show a bit of understanding yeah. and willingness to, to maybe um, do, I don't know, influencing, do things, differently then um, you know it benefits all
0: yeah and they've got i think the one thing that all of all of tennis players realize after they stop playing tennis and they go into other worlds is how much time they have when they're playing tennis as well it's not mm. as if they're that strapped for time you know yeah. they, they like to think they are at times though yeah
1: yeah no it's um yeah you I think when you're playing, you create a lot of unnecessary stress. <laughs> but yeah. if, if, you, if you can um, distract yourself with something else, whether it's educational or, yeah. or whether, you know, it's just about understanding the game and uh, the business model better, then, um, yeah, you, you can kind of equip yourself for, if you want to stay involved in a sport anyway, Absolutely. give yourself an advantage.
0: My last topic, and, and arguably... The most exciting and certainly most recent topic that you've done a, a brilliant job, and you've you've really captured the captured the nation and the girls have all captured the nation over the last couple of years. Fed Cup captain since two thousand and seventeen, I believe, so three three years, three and a half years. Uh, tell us, tell us about that that craziness, that everything <laughs> that's gone into that.
2: Oh well,
1: it, it's been you know. Uh, uh, a huge privilege, really, to captain the British team. Um, and it was, you know, Fed Cup for me, well, the Billie Jean King Cup now, as it's yeah. called, uh, it's now known, it was always very important to me as a player. And whenever I was asked to play, absolutely, um, you know, I, I jumped at the opportunity and I took um, a huge amount of pride in representing Great Britain um, in Fed Cup and the Olympics, which another highlight, which I failed absolutely. to mention earlier. Um, and representing Great Britain for me, um, you yeah, know, meant so many different things. And um, you know, it, I do see this country as um, as a daughter of a refugee and an immigrant, as a, a country that overall has been able to give my parents opportunities, has given me opportunities. And you know, we won't go into the politics or anything like that. But <laughs> um, you know, it's um, you know, uh, it 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 gave my parents a chance and um, that's why I took so much pride in representing Great Britain and that's why Fed Cup's always been important to me and now to to be able to captain the team yeah it's um I think I, I do think I've grown into my role um at the time uh, I guess you know it was also it was also the first job I applied for properly and uh, you know sat in an interview for and that was a an experience in itself um and I've been fortunate that you know uh, we've had a a great team of players um you know last year obviously was a huge highlight having um uh, a home tie first in Bath and then in in London in Hackney of all places um and um to see the players perform the way they did and really embrace everything that came with it. um, Yeah, filled me with a huge amount of pride. Um, And, you know, there's still a long way to go for us as a team um, in terms of what potentially we could achieve and what I would like to see us achieve. But it's it's a work in progress.
0: And what a circle that must have completed for you being back at the the copper box in hackney was it yeah Yeah. you know after you know obviously you've talked us through that journey here today so you kind of fast forward 35 years there you are leading your country out How, Mm. how how emotional was that
1: very much so um and um you know i think for all of us we the team, um, the players, the support staff—it was something we all wanted to be part of for for so long. Having seen it in the Davis Cup and seen the success Leon had with the Davis Cup team, and seen it, uh, the reaction to the home ties they had in their journey um, to become Davis Cup champions—and you know, we we wanted to experience that as a team. I never mm-hmm. got to experience a home tie as a player, mm-hmm. and um, you know, that was a huge regret I guess but to be able to experience that with um, the team last year was was very special and it kind of it's difficult for me to really articulate how that that made me um, feel um, but there yeah I mean the, the players the players did well there there was a there was one person missing um, and that was Elena Baltacher. Oh. Um, And when I think of Fed Cup, I I think of her a lot, because I I think about our relationship as kids with the same age, and our journeys as um, tennis players, you know, our success kind of mirrored each other, both, you know, quite the top 50, both were British number one, you know, both um, had to deal with a lot of adversity and, um, you know, work hard for what we achieved. Um, And... You know, Fed Cup was also the the competition that kind of brought our relationship back together yeah. with the help of Judy Murray, who was captain yeah. and um, helped repair our relationship as, yeah. as friends because we, yeah, well, yeah it, it was very up and down throughout our careers and um, unfortunately influenced by too many others. And yeah. it didn't need to be like yeah. that, um, but we were able to, through Fed Cup, discuss all of that. Um, rekindle our, our friendship and towards the end of our career were were very tight. So when I think of Fed yeah. Cup, I, I think of Bali and yeah. we um you know we uh, we spoke towards the end of our career of wanting to do that job together. Yeah because we felt really strongly um about how things could be done and how yeah. it could um how you you have the potential really to create incredible memories. Um, yeah. And help each other um, on the journey. Um, it doesn't have to be me against us. Mm-hmm. You can, you, you know, you can work with your teammates and achieve something mm-hmm. special. Um, and at the end of the day, it's it's just tennis. And um, you know, we we lost Bally at, uh, you Yeah, know, she was too young to leave to leave mm-hmm. us. And for me, that that had a profound impact on on you know a lot of the, the decisions I've made since. Yeah. um she passed away and how I, I view view some things um and definitely those fed couple weeks when I when I find myself in difficult situations I do do kind of wonder well what would Bally do or what would Bally say and um you know for for me yeah she she was yeah I would have loved for her to have been part of that journey with us last yeah. year that was the only thing missing
0: yeah. but it listening to you, Anne, it, it sounds like she was, you know, and it's like, it, it's, it's a, it's a big lesson to us all that, you know, life is too short sometimes, mm. you know, and it probably in, in pretty much every occasion it is. And, you know, we, we've, we've got to remember that and take that perspective into how I think we make decisions on a daily basis and how we try and embrace the challenges and whatever, whatever comes with us. But it's, I didn't know Bali that well, I met her a few times, but listening to yourself, listening to other people over the years, she has such a strong influence on so many things and I believe will do on British tennis for years and years to come that I think often the impact that somebody has, we don't know until they've, they've physically gone, you know, and I yeah. think it's, it's such lovely words that you've had there you know, on her. And I'm sure, you know, she'll live long, long into your Fed Cup journey and into GB's Fed Cup journey for many, many years to come.
1: Yeah. We, um we toast her every time. And, you know, that's one of the things uh, I like, why well, I, I, I want to, you know, as captain, I, I can influence so much, but mm. I'm, you know, with the players, I, you're bringing a group of individuals into a team environment. And for me, it's important to make the week memorable. Yeah. Um, so they want to come back, they want to compete, they want to represent their country, they want to be with each other. And these are the things I keep stressing to them once you hang up your rackets, you're going to remember weeks like this. And these are the weeks mm. you're going to miss yeah. the camaraderie, the banter. Um, the fun we have as a team, so it's really important for me as captain that um, we, we we create that environment for yeah. them. Um, but um, yeah, there I I I kind of yeah you, you pick and choose your your battles in during those weeks because everyone's everyone's different, but you you have to try and make sure uh, you know we're all on the same page yeah. um, and. You know, it's um, it's a constant work in progress in terms of building trust because, you know, I'm not with these players or even the support staff. I don't work with them on a day-to-day basis. Um, You know, I may see them every few months. Well, at the moment, it's months at a time before we we connect. But it's also important in those weeks we maintain perspective. And if there is one thing I, I want to drill and want to achieve, is, is that, is perspective. Whether yeah. we win or lose a stress, you have your health, you're doing something
2: yeah.
1: you want to do, you're in a privileged position um, and it can be taken away from you uh, yeah. at, at any moment in time. So, so let's just try and enjoy this journey together whilst yeah. we can. Um, and we always, yeah, we always toast barley at the end of the week, um,
0: yeah. win or lose. Well, that's lovely. And my, my next question, Anne, and it sounds like you're nailing it by by the way that you're talking about it. But what have you learned over the years about leadership and, you know, those, building cultures and, you know, those kind of skills that often aren't tennis specific, actually, because it's, it's not always normal to be building teams and to be building a culture within a team. What, what are your big takeaways and learnings from that?
1: I'm still learning. Yeah. I'm still figuring it out, um, you know, and I think, you know, when you're in a position where you can lead, uh, you have to lead by example. Um, I, do, I do think it's important for me as captain in that environment to have the human touch. Yeah. Uh, you know, our values as a team, are honesty, embrace and inspire. And for me, I I have to actively encourage everyone. It's not just players, but support staff. You you have to give me honest feedback. You have to be upfront as possible with me. I've got pretty thick skin. So, you know, you're not going to offend me. Um, And I want to be the best captain possible. So you need to help me be that person. I can't, I'm not a mind reader. And I've got a lot of people to manage here. Um, And you know I don't necessarily have time on my side so we we need constant honest communication and
2: yeah.
1: um, you know some I guess for for, for a lot of people to, to be able to speak openly to someone you know who you're not necessarily around all yeah. the time
2: yeah.
1: um, can be difficult which I'm aware of um, you know you're not going to just open up to somebody yeah, yeah. you haven't seen for a while. Yeah, yeah, And that's where for me, I think it's important for me as captain is is also to show a bit of vulnerability. Yeah. So I try and, you know, in those weeks talk about things um, as openly as possible, things that are difficult for me to talk to, things which, yeah. you know, make me emotional as well. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything wrong with as a captain showing a bit of vulnerability, showing that it's, it's okay um if that's what i expect from the players and from the staff as well for me to be able to help them yeah. um and for them to be able to help me you know it's it's okay um so i i do think having that human touch is is important um and and also um you know our, one of our other values is is to embrace the situation it you know we mm. We all have to we know each other's roles, individual roles, and responsibilities, and we have to hold each other accountable to it um, but you know you 've got to embrace it it 's not going to be perfect it 's not going to be the environment you have um, when you're playing as an individual at a tournament for yourself um, so you 've got to embrace the team environment mm-hmm. you've you've got to play a part in it, but also as captain, I've got to respect what what works, what what makes a player mm. tick. So mm. um, you know, some players will need more more downtime than others, and more quiet headspace than others. And I've got to be adaptable in my role in in, in trying to accommodate that and finding a balance, um, finding a balance there and respecting um, what works for them. Um, and. I guess touching on, I guess one of our other values is an inspiring. Um, you know, that was big for us last year, playing those home ties. You know, for for me, my question to the team was, well, you know, prior to all of this, when we had our team building camps, you know, why why do you play tennis? What is your legacy? What do you want, how do you want to be remembered? How yeah. how do you want people to perceive you? And you know, a lot of people you get the automatic well yes I, I want to inspire but how are you going to inspire yeah, yeah. through your behavior through um, engaging with people through your spirit and through how you um, behave on court and off court as well um, you know you, get, we we were aware we were going to have a lot of young kids coming to watch yeah. watch the team perform and you know, you've got to be engaged you know you you I think sometimes you don't realise the impact you have on on people and the power you have to inspire and and really influence um, people, especially young young kids who who are yeah. playing the game. So um, you know, with through through those values, I I want to you know I want the players to kind of live those values when mm-hmm. we're on um, Fed Cup team weeks. So I want them. To you know, for me, it it's just about giving your best. For me as captain, I can't guarantee the result at the end of the week. The yeah. player cannot guarantee the result for me, but if they can guarantee that they try their best, then they give, they prepared as well as they can. Then that's all I can ask for. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that you know, without me kind of waffling too much, it it's important to. To make those weeks fun and to create memories, um, because that's yeah, when you hang up your rackets, you I want the players to remember that, and I want them to to know that they've um, you know managed to build good relationships with with everyone on that team
0: a nice it's a nice little way to to end before we go into our quick fire round i think it's you know what you guys that what you guys have all achieved over the last few years has been has been fascinating and i think for me actually having young girls but also having a young boy it's really important for me that my boy and my girls have female role models i think sometimes we talk about girls having female role models, but I actually think it's as important that the boys do, you know, and I know that, you know, I get my son a lot to, you know, hit with our professional girls at the, at the academy, you know, to, to have those to look up to. And I think what you've created already and, and hopefully, and I'm sure you will over the next few years is that platform, you know, and having that home match and having the television and having, you know, those things and making that accessible. I think is such a such a wonderful thing for for British tennis, you know, and and obviously the the Davis Cup team have had the biggest platform of of the lot, you know, by going on and winning it. Uh, but keep you guys keep doing your thing, you know. Keep
2: thank you striving
0: <laughs> and and keep inspiring. Um, yeah. Are you ready for the quick fire?
1: Oh, go on, give it to me.
0: Yeah, forehand or backhand? Forehand. Serve or return? Return. <laughs> Davis Cup or Billie Jean King Cup?
1: Billie Jean King Cup, of course.
0: <laughs> a joint WTN ATP or not? Joint. Injury timeout or not? Oh, well,
1: As a commentator now, I would say no. <laughs>
0: yeah. Rafa or Roger?
1: Oh, that was, it's always a really difficult one, that one. You can't say both, can you? Can't. Yeah, it depends. Oh, week to week, tournament to tournament, you see that changes. But as we well, Roger's not playing at the moment, so I guess Rafa,
0: Serena or Venus. Oh, they won't listen. Don't worry, we're not big enough for that yet.
1: <laughs> not yet, not yet. They might come a day though, <laughs> Venus.
0: The next multiple Grand Slam champion on the WTA tour like the next superstar, the next one that's going to really grab a hold of the sport.
1: Well, who hasn't won a Grandstand yet?
0: No, they could have already sure. won one, but who's going to, you know, become the next sort of Serena-type figure?
1: Oh, well, if Naomi Osaka isn't already there yet, then Iga Shvontek, I was just so impressed with her, watching her. I remember seeing her play at Junior Wimbledon
2: right, when she yeah. won it
1: that year for the first time, and I was blown away by her then, and I was blown away by her performances at
0: the French Open this year. Yeah, no, she's special. I just thought, it, it, what feels like it's happened is that's happened a few times, and no one's quite then, you know, but it's going to be really interesting if she's able to do that. And I also think uh, Andriscu as well, who- Yeah. I know she's been out this year, but she was starting to show that almost, she could just be yeah. taking all of them down at any time. I love what, her attitude. Yeah, she's amazing. And one rule change you would have in tennis.
1: No toilet breaks.
0: And who should our next guest be?
1: Oh, who haven't you had? Who haven't you had? Your brother? My brother, (laughs) of course. My brother.
0: (laughs) James, you've been called out. You've been called out. (laughs) Anne and you have been absolutely brilliant I've loved what first of all catching up with you it's lovely to see you and off air hearing about your family and and all of that but it's uh it's such lovely insight you've given so many special stories that you've shared so thank you so much for your time
1: oh thank you for having me on it's been fun
0: it's been lovely you take care thank you A big thank you to Anne for coming on the show. Um, I'm just going to call her Anne after she destroyed me uh, at the start of the podcast uh, for how I said her name. Um, it is it is not through rudeness. Uh, I've always had a big issue with my THs uh, and I just happened to put the TH in the wrong place. So um, thank you, Anne. And please, please bear with me with my pronunciations. Um, yeah another great podcast and looking forward to hearing from all of you it's more and more people have been getting in touch and and sharing their views um, letting me know about some other people that they'd like to come on the podcast So some of the names that we've had chris commode who was was ceo of the of the atp justin gimelstob alistair mccall you know, there's some some really good names, good people, good stories that people are uh, asking me to try and get on, and we'll continue to to work hard to bring those people bring those people to you. Uh, yeah, my lessons from Anne, I guess uh, first and foremost, everyone everyone has their own journey. Everyone has a different journey. You know, it's a, it's a big discussion point around how much you push and how much you allow people to find their own way. You know, there is arguments for pushing your, your your kids and players, but ultimately, from my point of view, and I know from Anne's as well, uh, first and foremost, we want happy, healthy, mental and physical children, you know, and from there, you know, there's definitely room to be able to to demand a little bit more. Uh, you don't get things in life by, by not pushing hard, uh, but at the same time, as as with Anne's family they've still got a really good strong relationship and those relationships are, are, are massively key it was so lovely to to hear Anne's words on Elena Baltasha you know so sad that Elena was taken taken way too early but to hear Anne's words on that you know and listening back again as I was editing this podcast you know it certainly brought tears to my eyes and and to Elena's family and Elena's team um, really, you know, I, I hope that you can take a lot of comfort from those words from Anne and how the how the GB team will continue to carry Elena with, with them during this campaign and campaigns for, for much longer. Uh, so thank you for Elena. If you're listening anywhere up there in heaven, thank you for all that you continue to bring to us and the inspiration that you bring. And next week we have coming up I don't know we've got we've got another two or three I know that are coming to you um, I can't say for sure which one's next so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to wait and see but I can promise you it's gonna be good again there's there's more great guests to come a big thank you to you all have a wonderful weekend wherever you are have a wonderful week um, take some time out to, in this madness of 2020 to spend some time with your family, spend some time with yourself, your thoughts, and let's let's crack on with another great day and week ahead. I'm Dan Kiernan, my co-host is John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.